Let's pray then. Father, again, we come to you and we ask your help for this endeavor of looking into your word. We do this uh, because we believe that you have spoken in your word and what you have to say there is what we need for life. And so as we do this, we submit ourselves to you. We ask that you will guide us and that you'll open our minds and our hearts to receive what's here and that you'll use it to transform us into the image of Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and open to the book of Galatians again. And we're still in chapter 3. If you're using a a Bible from this room, I think Galatians 3 is on page 833. 833. So that might help you to uh, locate where we're at. It's interesting when you, um, especially when you study, really when you study, I guess, any, any book of the Bible, but, I, but maybe especially when you're studying something like a letter. And that's what this is. This is Paul writing a letter to a group of churches. It's, it's always tricky to know how to break that up. Okay, So like if, if we really were to try to pay attention to all that's in the letter and do it all in one sitting, I mean, we could do that, like it would take hours to really try to make sense of all of it, and, and in a way that's, that's helpful. You could do a quick overview, uh, but we, we've chosen not to do that. So since we're trying to answer specific questions and see how the letter answers those questions, uh, you always have to break it into smaller parts. But, but I hope you're seeing, and I, I want to help you to see, how even the things we're going to see tonight are, are related to what we saw last week. There's a lot of continuation. There's probably not a, a lot that's brand new each week that you're hearing in fact, if anything, you might be like, man, that's pretty close to what was said last week. And that's because the, the theme of the letter you know, remains the same all the way through. So think about if you, if you wrote a letter you know, to a family member or a friend, and you're trying maybe, to, maybe just to inform them about things. Maybe you're trying to teach them something or explain something to them. Depending on how detailed your letter is, uh, you, know, you might not understand one part of the letter if you didn't read another part earlier. Or something you explain in an earlier part of the letter might not actually make sense until you read the rest of the whole thing. Does that make sense? Uh, you'd want to you'd want to have a grasp of the whole thing to see how all the parts fit together and see how the explanation works. Well, that's that's kind of like how these letters work. Now, you might compare something like this to a letter you would write and think, "Well, I would never write a letter that long," and most of us may not. Uh, but again, that's the that's the reason why we're trying to take small chunks at a time but also to see how they fit together. So I think, I think Paul is trying to answer some very important questions. We've talked about some of the, some of the questions that I, that I hope you're asking, you know, about salvation, about what it means to be right with God, about how to live as, as someone who is right with God. You know, last week we tried to be very careful about defining some really important terms that are brought out in this, in this letter. Um, uh, so, so for example, so again, just to kind of set the, the stage, you know, we've thought about this idea of being justified by faith. You know, Paul wants to make sure these people understand what it means to be counted righteous before God. And it all happens by faith in Christ. 
And he's making the point, it's not by your efforts, it's not by, you know, for the Jews, it's not by your obedience to the law that was written in the Scriptures. And, what was the other term? We said you're justified, but then once you live your life, that process that happens after you're justified, you remember what, that, what we called that process? Sanctification. Sanctification. And that also happens, we said, by faith. You live out your faith in God, and as you do so, you and I become more like Christ. We become more holy. And he compared, he compared this to, um, to an Old Testament character. Who did he say? This happened the same way for, you can look there in your passage there, just like who? Abraham, yeah. He says in verse 6 there, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. We're concerned tonight to understand more about this person, Abraham, and specifically how the things that were promised to Abraham apply to us. Like, do any of the promises made to Abraham in the way that he was right before God, does any of that still apply to us? I would say it does. So what I'd like to do is to uh, read uh, a section of this and then to go through. You've only got, I think, three points there in your notes, three blanks to fill in, and then, and then some space to write in some other things that might be helpful. But I just want to show you these, this development of this idea of what it, what it is to be blessed in the same way that Abraham was blessed. Okay, so to do that, let me start reading in Galatians 3 and verse 7. And he says this, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All right, verse 9. Let me, let's look at that again. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All right, so you, you get an idea. He's talking about what, what I think we say is the blessing of Abraham. You're blessed the same way that Abraham was blessed by, he says, if you are of faith. So... Uh, I want to show you how this blessing of Abraham is developed. And, and I, I, hope, I hope this is helpful. So the first, the first point there is the blessing of Abraham promised. All right, it's promised. I think this is remarkable the way that it is promised. So verse 7, those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And then the wording, look at the wording in verse 8. See if you can help me make sense of this. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. All right, so Gentiles, uh, we, we, we need to understand. That's a word for any, national, any, any ethnicity that's not Jewish. That's Paul's way of describing that, okay? He would justify non-Jewish people by faith. The Scripture knew that. And so it did what? In verse 8, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith did what? Preached what? The gospel. Okay, to who? Beforehand to Abraham. All right, now we answered this last week. When did Abraham live in relation to Jesus? Like a long time before, right? Thousands of years before. Okay, the scriptures, though, 
did what to Abraham? Preached the gospel. We, we would think that in order to preach the gospel, you have to preach about what person? Jesus. And, and to get like the fullest explanation of the gospel, I think, that's, I think that's right. You have to do that. How on earth did Abraham have the gospel preached to him almost 2,000 years before Jesus was even born? How is that possible? Well, what was the gospel message that Abraham received? Do you see it there in, uh, in verse 8? Exactly. In you, and you could write this reference in there, in the blanks there, uh, in the space there, Genesis 12.3. Okay, Genesis 12.3 is a promise to Abraham, God telling Abraham, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. God says, I, I will curse him who, uh, bless him who blesses you, curse him who curses you, and in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Apparently, all the nations being blessed in Abraham is a promise of the gospel. It's the gospel, it's the good news about Jesus being preached to Abraham. So the gospel didn't just, the good news of, of Christ didn't just come about like when Jesus was born, did it? This good news was promised centuries beforehand, even in the way God, in the Scriptures, spoke to Abraham. This is, this is remarkable, okay? I, again, did Abraham, like, have the Scriptures? No, he didn't. How could the Scriptures preach the gospel to Abraham? How do you, how do you make sense of this? Well, apparently God is the one who speaks the gospel, and so when Scripture speaks, God speaks. And when God speaks, Scripture speaks, right? So this is, this is the blessing of Abraham promised. Now let's, let's be very specific here. How would all the nations of the earth be blessed in Abraham? Okay. The Savior of the world, Jesus, the promised rescuer, would come through the line of Abraham. So in Abraham, and, and you, you would say then through the Jewish nation, right, through, the, through Israel, all the nations of the earth, all other nations would be blessed. They would have this blessing of Abraham. And so the blessing of Abraham really is tied to what person? To Jesus. And so the blessing of Abraham is promised to Abraham... And Paul says that is as though God was preaching the gospel to Abraham. So in a sense, God really was preaching about Jesus to Abraham, wasn't he? That's the blessing of Abraham promised. Here's the second point. This would be the blessing of Abraham accomplished. How did this blessing of Abraham actually come about? How was this promise fulfilled? Let's read starting in verse 10. He writes, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Okay, let's stop there and, and understand this. Why would he talk about a, a curse? A curse is the opposite of a, a blessing. And so since he's just talked about the blessing of Abraham, and how does the blessing of Abraham come? By faith. By faith. He says, if you rely on the works of the law, in other words, if it's your effort and not by faith, it's not a blessing but a curse. Okay. So, verse 10 again. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse, 
For it is written, and again, he's quoting the Old Testament here, Deuteronomy 27, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Verse 11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 12, But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. And then verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He did all this so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I wish we had time. not going to take the time. Maybe this would be good for you to do in your small groups. I wish we had time to go back and see all the Old Testament passages that Paul's quoting from here. He's, he's really reteaching what the Old Testament had to say about this topic about whether or not you and I are counted righteous, are we, are we blessed and not cursed because of our works or because of our faith? That's the question that... And he's showing that question is even answered in the Old Testament. If you rely on the works of the law, you are cursed because no one can abide by all the things written in the law. So the righteous don't live by works, they live by faith. The law demands perfect obedience, which none of us can live up to. So, again, think about the situation of all people apart from Christ. If, if you and I have to trust in our efforts in order to be right with God, are we under a blessing or under a curse? We're all under a curse, right? Right? Apart from, apart from someone who can remove us out from under that curse, we're, we remain under the curse. And so Christ, the fulfillment of the promise of the blessing of Abraham, came and we're told that He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming what? In verse 13, He became a, a curse for us, okay? Who was under the curse? We were. All people. Jesus is the blessing of Abraham. The blessing of Abraham became the curse so that you and I who are under the curse might be blessed. Might receive the blessing of Abraham. Might receive the promised spirit, not through works, not through our efforts, but through faith, through our belief in this Christ, in this one who was cursed for us. And, and so again, you see the, hopefully you see the development of his, this is, this is how the, lo- the whole letter fits together. How did God promise the blessing to Abraham? Well, he preached the gospel. How did the gospel come about? Through the person of Jesus who became a curse for his people to redeem us. That's how, that's how this blessing is accomplished. Without Jesus doing that for people, all of us remain under a curse. 
Okay, so, so maybe you're here tonight, and, and you have your only relationship to God is what you've done to try to please Him. And the scripture tonight here, our passage, teaches that you will remain under a curse before God. Jesus is the only one who can be right enough before God to make it to where you and I who are under a curse don't suffer the consequences of that curse. So trust in Christ. Don't trust in your efforts. Don't trust in your works. If you try to accomplish for yourself this blessing of Abraham, like I'm just going to receive it, I'm just going to make myself do it, you'll never do it. Jesus alone accomplished it. So, God promised the blessing of Abraham. Jesus accomplished the blessing of Abraham for his people. And then here's the third one. The blessing of Abraham granted. The blessing of Abraham granted. Now, he's going to speak very straightforwardly, very logically, about how this comes about. And, and if you, again, if you just think about it logically, based on what he said so far, you could figure this out, how this works. This is not a, a, a mystery. But let's read what he has to say, starting in verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises, that would be the promises of his covenant, were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and again he's quoting here from the Old Testament, it does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. Verse 17, this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Okay, here's the logic. Here's the explanation. Again, he's thinking in terms of like the order of things, okay? You got to know your Bibles. Who came first, Abraham or the law? What came first, Abraham or the law? The law came through Moses. Moses. Who came first, Abraham or Moses? Abraham. Abraham. The promise was given to who first, Abraham or Moses? Abraham. So through Moses, like there wasn't, there wasn't even a law in Abraham's time, was there? Okay? There was just a promise. The law came later, 430 years later, Paul says, through Moses. So... If God required Abraham to obey the law, how could Abraham have even obeyed a law that wasn't there? The answer is he couldn't have because it wasn't there. Because it was never meant to be achieved by the keeping of the law. It was only meant to be achieved by God fulfilling the promise that he gave to Abraham. And that is to bless all those who have the faith that Abraham himself displayed when he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So the promise of the blessing of Abraham is granted to you and I, you and I how? By our obedience to the law? No. By faith. I told you I wasn't going to say anything incredibly new. This sounds repetitive, right? This is this is the letter. This is what the whole letter has been about. But the implications of this are massive. This means that our efforts, and really the efforts of any other religion, okay, like we're a performance-based 
culture. You know, we think we need to evaluate people based on how well behaved they are. You know, how, how, how good are their efforts? Praise God, He doesn't evaluate us that way. Praise God, He evaluates His people based on the performance of Jesus, which does not fail. And so our faith in Christ, in His life and death and resurrection, means that we too can be counted righteous before God. We can be justified. We are justified before God by faith. And the blessing of Abraham, then guess what? It gets granted to us. God keeps His promise, not just to Abraham, but to the, what does He call us? The sons of Abraham and daughters. Sons and daughters of Abraham. You remember, remember how one of the promises to Abraham was um, that he would give them, he would give his descendants a promised land, and he fulfilled that in the way that he delivered Israel from Egypt. In in the same way, you and I are promised a land, aren't we? We're promised at the end of Scripture a new heaven and a new earth. So God is even specific in the way He allows those promises to Abraham to be fulfilled and kept to us. You are granted, it's almost like you receive an inheritance, okay? This is, this is the opposite of the way the world works, okay? The only way you will, see, will receive an inheritance in this life is if someone else dies and leaves you something, right? But you know how you receive the inheritance of the blessing promised to Abraham? You die. Like, you die, and then you are granted your inheritance, Life eternal in the presence of God on the new earth when He brings it. The ultimate promised land. That's a good inheritance, right? Praise God for it. Let's pray. Father, our hopes for righteousness are not in ourselves. They are in you alone. They are in what you have promised and what you have accomplished in the sending of Jesus who became a curse for us. The one who is a blessing became a curse so that we who are cursed might be blessed, might be redeemed from our curse. So Lord, we can't help but stand in awe of you that you would do this for us. Lord, we want to praise you because you have done this for us. Uh, Lord, we, we pray that you will open our eyes to be uh, grateful to this, grateful for this, grateful to you. And Lord, pray that we would make this known to others who need this truth, who need the same redemption that we've experienced. So open their eyes and cause us to be bold and, and clear in how we speak of it. Lord, as we talk in our groups now about how more specifically to apply these things, again, we, we ask for your help. Uh, so please, please guard our discussions. In Jesus' name, amen.